Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Sean Hildner. I may sound a little bit funny in this recording. Uh, I have just moved house and the the details that we'll be talking about this week are the acoustic baffling that is still stuck in, in supply chain purgatory. So I apologize for that. Uh, but this week we are going to talk about the details. You know, last week we talked a lot about where to start when you're building something new. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about where to continue on from that. And joining me as always are Basecamp's co-founders and the authors of Rework, Jason Freed. How are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you doing? Wonderful. And David Heidemeyer Hansen, how are you? Good, good. I guess the the crux of this episode is you guys see a lot of people trying to add the smaller details a little bit too early on. Is that about right? Yeah, I'm including us. It's an easy thing to get caught up in, right? Which is uh, you build something new. Let's say a new feature. You got you know a few weeks to do something new. And you can find yourself getting in the circular pattern of obsessing over stuff that doesn't matter yet. Like the, you know, the fit and finish of something may not matter yet until you just get the basics in place. And you can blow a week or two or more circling around just some fit and finish. It's just not important yet. It's not that it doesn't matter at all. It's just it doesn't matter yet. You need to make more progress early on before you start to layer some of that stuff in. So that's kind of what this chapter is about. I think one of the key reasons here is that these details, these refinements you're making, make it thrown out. If you're refining something that doesn't pan out because it's the idea is not quite right, the order of the screens needs to be different, we actually need to approach the problem from a slightly different angle, you've wasted all that time. And you won't know if the design is right, if the flow is right, until you have it essentially working. So getting something that's the real flow in its rough state working as quickly as possible allows you to verify whether you even have the feature by its tail or whether it's still elusive. We talk often about uphill work and downhill work. This comes out of the hill chart feature in Basecamp 3, where on the uphill, you still have uncertainty as to whether you're on the right path, whether you've identified all the aspects of the problem, and whether you're ready to simply just get it done. Mm -hmm. The downhill path is... The detail path is getting things right and making them good. But on that uphill path, it's really important not to get sucked into the refinements of the details. The example we use here, which I've always loved, is this idea of which size pencil do you use? Yeah. The the mock-ups, if any of the pitches that Jason will make that I'll look at to review for flow or for technical ideas, they're always made with this thick marker. And you just can't be that precise when you have this thick marker. So the boxes are really chunky and you can't tell anything in it. And that's exactly the right level of abstraction when we're trying to figure out, like, is this the right direction or not? The flip side, of course, is that if you don't get back to the details, you'll ship something shitty. (laughs) So as Jason said, this is about timing. It's not about whether the details are important or not. It's about when you dive into them. I I think David makes a great point about... um I'm glad you made it because I I forgot about early on, you're almost going to redo everything kind of anyway. There's a good chance whatever you work on the first week is not going to be set in stone and you're going to be moving around and playing. And so you had to spend time on stuff that's going to be redone anyway. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I think another way of looking at this is to think about the uphill part of the project, the early part of the project as a way to dispel uncertainty. Things you are not sure about yet, those are the things you need to figure out now. And then once you're sure, okay, we're good. Let's get into it. Let's 
Sweat those details. Make them really nice. But you got to get rid of the uncertainty first. And so what is that cutoff? How, I think what you said last week was, how adequate does the epicenter need to be before you can, or before you should start diving into the details? You kind of get to this place where everything works the way you expect it to work, but then you're you're not satisfied with how it looks or how it feels or maybe how fast it is, or you might find that there's a more efficient way to do this. Here's a good example to get concrete. We're about to ship a feature in um, Hay called Send Later, mm-hmm. which lets you schedule an email to be sent at a future date and time. And initially, we had played with this idea of being really precise, that you would pick a date by pulling up a calendar, literally like a calendar view. And you know you could pick a date in the future, and then you could pick a time, I think, based on five-minute increments or, or something like that. It was, it was pretty precise. Mm-hmm. And we were going to use the built-in browser pickers. And depending on the platform you're on, some are good, some are not so good. And, and we just started going down this path of like trying to massage these calendar pickers and get this stuff looking just right. And then we're like, you don't need to be this precise. This is really about writing something on Sunday and sending it Monday morning or sending it tomorrow morning or whatever day it is today. And so we just basically, just, hey, there's only seven days in the week. And you know what if we just let you send it basically at the top of the hour? So 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Literally, we, we could have spent weeks designing this precise interface to pick exactly when you want to send it. But we just dialed it back because as we started using the thing and started playing with it, we realized that we didn't need as much as we thought we would have needed. And we didn't get to that till near the end of the project. But we hadn't spent that much time on the calendar, the precise UI, but we could have. And then at the end, we would have thrown it out anyway. And that's what you want to avoid. The funny thing with that particular feature was I did the implementation. And we had a really nice design, actually, the more precise version, or I forget where we were exactly with it, but it was mapped out and we'd all signed off on it in theory. And then I went to implement it. And we hit this one state where you were going back to revise whether a send later thing needed to be sent at a different time and so on. And the design as nice as it was just didn't work for that. It was just a huge amount of complication. And I'm just, I'm allergic to that. I was like, I'm spending my own time writing the program for this. I'm not going to write it this way because it's going to be like twice the amount of work I've already invested. We're almost there already. We have to change the design. Yeah. And this is this other fact, and I think we talk about this in another chapter, the trading of concessions, that sometimes you'll arrive at a design where you think it's all good, and then you go to make it, and you realize it's really actually difficult to make it that way. And that difficulty in of itself has bearing on whether that's a good design or not. A good design is not just good because the user likes it. A good design is also a design that's easy to implement. It's easy to maintain less likely to have bugs, less likely to have uh, edge case states. I was just reading this thing about the bake-off that they had for the iPhone operating system, which got into the, all the details of how to design the hardware and the uh, experiences that Apple had around design of the iPod before that. And that a key optimization was, is this easy to build? Can we get high yields with this design? Does the wheel click in in such a way that people can assemble it at a high volume? And you go, you know that someone like Steve Jobs would totally sweat the details of like how it feels to use, but they also sweat the details of what it would take to implement it. Can you get the yields out of it? Is this uh, an efficient way of, of producing it? And I think this is something that's often forgotten when we talk about interface design, that you can get into this maximalist state 
that is very easy to say, just like whatever's best for the user, go to 100%. We never build like that. And I think that that's part of those uh, details is that even those details need to be negotiated too. Sometimes the details are trivially easy to do. And we'll talk like, let's do it. Like, great. And then other times, like there's a little refinement that feels like, oh, it's nice to have. And it's like, yeah, but that's going to take me like a quarter of the time to make the whole thing. Is it really that important? So sometimes you even need to ignore the details later on when the price isn't right. Have you ever fallen into that trap of going a little bit too far, focusing on the minutia uh, uh, too early on? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to ignore or hard to avoid sometimes, which is why I, as David was suggesting or, or mentioned, I, I tend to, especially early on, I tend to use imprecise methods to come up with ideas. So like big fat marker sketches, or if I'm using an iPad sketching app to work on some interface design ideas, I'll use the thickest pen option. You want to do everything you can to fight against the instincts of trying to over-refine too early. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and sometimes I'll find myself doing this. I'll draw, I'll try to draw some interface thing and I'm sort of simulating like a screen. So I'll draw a square and I'll find myself like not drawing a really good square and I'll erase it and I'll do it again. I'll then erase <laughs> it. I'm like, what am I doing? It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So like my sketches are, are pretty crappy if you look at them. I, I could make them better, but I'm, I'm intentionally not focusing on the shape of the square. Like you get the point. This is a a screen or a modal dialogue or a button or or words. In fact, mo- most of our sketches don't even have words. They have squiggles where words will be because I don't want to get into what the words say yet. I don't know what they're going to say. Or we're going to change them a bunch of times. But sometimes, like right now, where I'm redoing the Basecamp.com marketing site with, with our designer and I'm obsessing over the copy too much on some screens right now. And what I'll do is I'll get in this, this loop where I just Literally, I've rewritten the headline probably three or 400 times, literally. And it doesn't matter yet because I know whatever I pick today will not be what we ship in eight weeks from now because it's just how it goes. I know like a day or two before I'll come up with something else. But you still don't want lorem ipsum or some nonsense, right? Never. You don't want that. You still want something that's pointed in the direction you're headed. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason for me to like literally have rewritten this a few hundred times. And I have because I just kind of keep playing with it and keep messing with it. And I just know it's not going to matter anyway. There's no chance what I have today is what's going to ship in April or whatever, whenever the the site goes out. And like rewriting a headline only takes a few seconds. It's not like a big deal, but it's still misdirected effort. There's other things on the site that I want to get refined, like the pricing page or something. I want to get more value and more leverage out of those right now. Or I could if I spent my time there. So I have to remind myself sometimes to just leave something alone for a while. Like literally, I've I've walked away from that project for a week because I just I was obsessing over the wrong things. David, what about from the coding side? Do you find yourself sort of niggling at the, the small little little details? Oh, very often. And and it's one of those things where when you do, when I'm getting too hung up on making the code just right, just perfect on that initial implementation, and we then have to change it later, I kick myself because I get annoyed. And I get invested in this path because I already made it, and I already made it nice, and now you're asking me to throw it out, and that's really fucking annoying. (laughs) Um, Because it's just, I'm allergic to wasted work. The problem with investing in those details early on is that they feel like investments. You don't want to lose those. You don't want those investments to go to zero. You are now invested in that path, even if it turns out that reality tells you that's not the best path. Right. And then you become stubborn. 
sometimes. I mean, I've found that too. Like, I just really like this implementation. I don't want to change it. I don't want to change it. Even though I like begrudgingly can realize that like, okay, fine, actually it is better the other way. And that's just an unhealthy way to do it. And we should all just realize that this notion of both sunk cost and endowment effect, they're all real psychological pressures on you. So don't put yourself in that situation where you don't feel like killing your darlings. You got to be constantly ready to kill your darlings when you came up with a better idea on how to do it. And it's not just details in that sense. It's also just polish. I mean, details stand in for that kind of polish, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, for example, with the implementation, I feel like I'm pretty good on that end. Like, don't do the error checking up front until we've committed. (laughs) Don't do all the the edge case paths and, and all the other stuff. Like, just scaffold it out so you have a perfect path through it. Like, there's one path through this where you click everything and it'll work. All the other ones, they don't work yet. And if we change direction, I won't have wasted my time. I feel the same way about testing, by the way. So I'm a big fan of automated testing. We do a lot of automated testing, but I don't do this thing called test-driven development, where I drive my back-end design by writing all these tests first, because that's another way of getting too invested in a certain implementation that I might want to throw up five minutes from now. I kind of want to finish this off by talking about the process of finding which details to work on first. So you have your epicenter done. And how do you go about in your head prioritizing what's the next most important thing? It's similar to like walking down a path that's not uh, formed yet. You got to cut the brush. Yeah. Where's the next step that feels solid, that feels like the right place to go? And a big part of this comes from using the thing, of course. So for example, if we're making a message board or something in Basecamp and the first thing is like simply getting the body of a message or maybe the subject, because one of one of those two things is all you need to get somewhere useful. And then you fill in the next, like what's the next thing? What's connected to that that would either improve what we have or or let you do something you couldn't do before? And you just kind of keep walking and you see where the path leads based on what's useful and, what, and the utility you're after. And things just sort of come into view. This is why we don't like write or plan out a bunch of, let's say, tickets ahead of time that people can take and say, well, I'll work on this and I'll work on this and I'll work on this and I'll work on this. Like we don't really know exactly all the work that's going to be required to do what we want to do. We have an idea. And then the team that's doing the work, they blaze the trail, they blaze the path, they clear cut and they figure out where to go next based on what this thing needs to do. That's usually it. Sometimes it's a lot more obvious than other times. Uh, If it's something's really exploratory, for example, we shipped a feature in the last few cycles called Lineup, which is a brand new idea in Basecamp, which lets you see projects with start and end dates plotted on a timeline, essentially. We had a sketch idea of what that could look like, but how do you set that up and where where do you specify the times and the dates and can you modify the dates from the lineup or only from within projects? There's a bunch of questions and we didn't have any answers to those up front. As you use the thing, you realize, you go, gosh, I would really want to feel like I want to click that thing to, to move it. Let's say this is going to be late. I, I need to be able to do this here. And you didn't know you needed to do that here when you first thought of the idea, but you just felt like you needed to do that. Just like, I need to walk down this path because I'm not going to get around this corner unless I go around this way or I won't be able to get this way because it's too loose and I have to find some some solid footing. You kind of just feel your way around. I know this is not like, great advice, perhaps, that people are like, what do you do exactly next? But I th- do think you pay attention to what you need and uh, you don't define what you need up front. You define a direction that you're headed, but you figure out as you go. Yeah. And that's really the key is 
once you have something that works, you get the priorities for free because it's obvious. In almost all cases, is it obvious like what's next? And this is one of the reasons too that when I started an implementation, I love just getting like the first screen rendering something. And there's like the buttons are halfway broken and like the thing doesn't work. And then like, what's the next thing that needs to happen before I've like taken a step forward? And it's always very obvious. It's not like a big mystery. Oh, we have 20 different things we could do. No, like there's one thing that's more important than everything else. And it's totally obvious that that's the thing because I'm trying to use it. And that also comes in with the refinement, which is almost as important on the other end is when to stop. When are you done? I get that sense of like, I'm done when my energy and motivation for working on this feature is waning because I can see we're into the diminishing returns. That this is actually good enough. I'm perfectly happy using it as it is. Do you know what? We could just ship this. And I think sometimes, I mean, we'll go back and forth and we'll have different ideas of whether that means it's done or not and, and so forth. But listening to that internal voice of like, I should rather work on something else more novel than this is uh, a canary telling you that you're into the land of diminishing returns and you could stop now. If you're not motivated to work on it any further, it's because it, it, it is essentially good enough in one version of, of good enough. That also comes with this idea of, of not trying to plot it all out. Like usually when we line up a project, we'll have all these ideas. Oh, it needs to do this. It needs to do this. And we'll always end the project with like relatively long list of stuff that just kind of fizzles because it just wasn't important enough. We reached the end of it. We're like, eh, let's get it out there. Right. And then there's this list of essentially just abandoned ideas because it turned out they weren't pivotal to whether we could ship this or not. And that's just as important to realize when to cut your ambition and cut the details and just go. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to stop. Uh, we have a, a few minutes here. You want to take a uh, listener question? Sure, let's do it. Hi, this is Martin DeSaul from the UK. Uh, I'd be interested to know more about the life cycle of your customers in terms of how long they typically tend to stay with Basecamp and also whether there are particular industry sectors they tend to come from. The majority of our customers are smaller businesses, fewer than, let's say, 20 people who work in these companies, of which there are I mean, it's like it's the biggest business market there is. It's funny because a lot of companies are afraid of small businesses. They want to go for the enterprise. You know, you sell to one company that has 5,000 employees and you can charge for 5,000 people. It's a, it's a big deal, right? That's never interested us. And it doesn't bear out in our customer base either. We have some very large companies that use Basecamp, quite a few, thousands that are quite large. But the majority of our customers are smaller and they're all over the board. I mean, You've got design firms, which is sort of where we started. You've got architecture firms, you've got publishers, you've got dentists, you've got teachers, you know, you've got construction, you've, you've got pretty much everything, churches, synagogues, mosques. Um, we're always surprised to hear how people are using Basecamp in all sorts of different ways, but it's not even the industry. We like, we don't target specific industries, but mostly it's a size thing. It's smaller businesses, growing small businesses. You know, let's say under 20 people, of course, that's not the be all end all because we have many that are, that are larger, but that's where most of them are. One of the consequences of dealing with small businesses is that they go out of business, as all businesses do, but a higher percentage of things that have just been started will go out of business versus a, a large business that's been along, around for a long time is more likely to stay in business for a longer time. So uh, there is more churn at that end of the business. That goes for anyone who sells to small and medium-sized businesses compared to those large enterprises. But they're also easier to sell. 
because you're selling directly to the person who's going to use it. You're not selling to a purchasing manager. You don't have these long cycles. You don't need the romance part of the enterprise sales cycle with weeks of negotiations and discounts and this, that, and the other thing. We sell directly, mostly, to the people who use it. And it's a very satisfying way of developing software and selling software. When you know that the person you're trying to convince on a marketing site is convinced if the product is good, not if the product is easy to integrate with some thing, something, something that's a checkbox on the purchasing manager's list of things that he or she has been sent into town to, to figure out. There's an honesty about that type of direct sales that really appeals to me. I think the other thing that appeals is the sense of selling to the next generation. That like you're not selling to the established players who've already gotten things. Like how much are we really going to impact how some huge company is going to operate or not? I mean, maybe kind of whatever, but probably not as much as some small company that hasn't yet still figured out what the operating system for their business is going to be like. Large companies that have become large over a long period of times are just traditionally more set in their ways. We have a greater opportunity to make a real and meaningful impact on these small businesses that are just starting out, that are willing to learn, that are willing to try something else, which is a good idea because a lot of our products are quirky in ways if you compared them to the rest of the market that they don't line up so well with just necessarily a checkbox list of, oh, do you have this feature? Do you have that feature? Do you have that feature? And you know what? That's not really what we're trying to compete on. So I think that that sense of openness is greater with those small and medium-sized businesses that we've ended up with. And it also just flows together. This conversation that we're having now there are going to be more of those small and medium-sized businesses who listen to that. Those are the ones who read our books, uh, the starters, and, and so forth. So all the sort of the flywheel, if you will, of everything that we do spin around these smaller businesses. Well, perfect. Thank you, Martin, for your question. If you have any questions for Jason or David, you can leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850 or better yet, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hello at rework.fm. Uh, next week, we are talking about decision making. So I will see both of you next week. For now, I want to say thank you, David Heinemeyer Hansen. Thanks, Sean. And thank you, Jason Freed. Thank you, Sean. We'll see you next week. See you then. Rework is a production of Basecamp. Our theme music is by Clipart. We're on the web at rework.fm, where you can find show notes and transcripts for this and every episode of Rework. We're also on Twitter at Rework Podcast. If you're following along with the book, next week we'll be discussing the chapter, Making the Call is Making Progress. And if you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you're listening to this. 